Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And verse 6 to 11, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people, from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. Thank you. Today we begin our celebration of Christmas, and we want to talk about this morning uh, about hope springing up. Um, now, don't get me wrong, what I'm about to say, I love the timber industry. Uh, we live in a region where that's a huge industry of ours, and, and uh, we need things that are made out of wood, so we need to cut trees down. Um, those, that timber, timber tree industry uh, provides lots of jobs, but we can't deny that a cutover is is not as beautiful as hardwoods, right? Like, we can all admit that there's just something sad. Now, I'm not going to go chain myself to a tree. I'm not that guy. But I can't deny the fact that when you see a beautiful setting of hardwoods and it's turned into a cutover, uh, at least in the immediate aftermath, uh, it's just ugly. It's not pretty. It is, uh, in many ways, a barren wasteland as oftentimes thorns begin to come up because all of that light comes in, and it's just not uh, a great place as hardwoods are. And this, uh, a cutover, okay, when, when we think of a cutover, that is the setting of Isaiah 11. Uh, kingdoms that have been cut down. Um, so let me kind of set the set the scene here okay um king ahaz uh, of judah was beginning to feel some pressure uh from the northern kingdom of israel okay and so god sends word through isaiah and says look i'm going to take care of judah i'm going to take care of you just rely on me in fact he says hey i'll give you a sign uh that is undeniable you just tell me the sign that you want and i'll give it to you to show that I'm going to take care of you, okay? 
And what the king, king Ahaz does, instead of being, being uh, obedient and being trustworthy of God, he tries to be a little pious and says, oh, I'm not going to put you to the test, God. I'm not going to put you to the test. But what he's really wanting to do is rely on earthly powers. He's wanting to rely on the Assyrians, the godless people, that they're going to protect us, not God. And so they turn to the Assyrians, and sure enough, uh, the Assyrians do protect them. Uh, they, they protect them from the northern kingdoms, and so they go to war, and there's a great battle. And then what's left is uh, Judah and Assyria, and then what God, then the thing that God does, because, Assyria, because Judah did not trust in God, but trust in Assyria, Assyria he, he makes Assyria turn on Judah. And so then Assyria cuts down Judah, okay? And in, in, uh, in the chapters preceding chapter 11, we, we see that they're the acts that God takes and he uses to cut down Judah. But then... God's not done, because God, after that happens, God says, now I'm going to break the axe. I'm going to cut down Assyria, okay? And so Assyria is destroyed as well. And so in this barren land of hopelessness is what we find in chapter 11 of, of kingdoms that have just absolutely been destroyed. Why? Because Judah said, you know what, God, you're not enough. We don't trust you. We don't trust the words you are saying. So we are going to turn to earthly means to be our hope. But in the aftermath of this, of this destruction, God in chapter 11 offers hope that out of the stump that remains of Judah, a tiny branch will spring forth. And that branch, that tiny little meager branch, is going to change everything. Maybe your life feels a little like a cutover this Christmas season. Just laid waste by whatever's been happening in your life this year. It's just not good, right? It's not beautiful. There's not a lot of hope there. It's a cutover. Maybe it's even a wasteland of your own making. That's where Judah was. I mean, they had just outright denied God who had offered them help. And it was a wasteland of their own making. But God's Messiah stands as our only hope this morning. If we would cast our hope upon God's Messiah, we will not be let down. So I want to look at the description given in Isaiah 11 of this great great messiah first we see that that he was a hope that, that we hope in a righteous messiah verses 11 uh, chapter 11 verses 1 through 5 he's righteous in wisdom verse 2 tells us that the spirit of god is going to rest on this branch who we know is jesus christ the messiah it says that he will it will be a spirit of wisdom a spirit of understanding a spirit of counsel and knowledge now that's just essentially saying the spirit of god is going to rest upon christ and his coming and it's going to be a thing of wisdom of counsel it's going to be it's going to be amazing and that's what's going to happen but the wisdom 
if we look at Christ coming from a worldly perspective and, and the worldly wisdom, it's not, it doesn't really look that wise, right? 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. You know, if we think about it, if, we, if God wanted, according to worldly wisdom, if he wanted to, to have his son come to change the world, how might we plan that according to worldly wisdom? If we wanted to say, well, God, God's son needs to be someone that's going to change the world, we would probably say, hey, he needs to be, be born to a wealthy family. He needs to be born to like a prominent royal family or a presidential family he's got to be uh be a top not born to a top-notch family what did godly wisdom dictate godly wisdom dictated that he was born to a family that was so poor that his family couldn't had to provide birds as sacrifices in the temple which was a provision for very poor people That was the the provision that was made for the poor. So he comes from a very poor family. The world's wisdom would have said, hey, he needs to be born, you know, in a very majestic way, in a palace surrounded by uh, kings and queens and, and all kinds of fanfare with trumpets, with decorations. But what would godly wisdom dictate? That he would be born to the smell of manure, surrounded by animals in the manger. Worldly wisdom would have said, hey, if you're going to change the world, you've got to be a conqueror. You've got to be, you know, we've got Rome and all these, these, these nations that are conquering, have conquered Israel. And so we need a conquering king. We need a king that's going to come in and just... Uh, destroy and live a long life and win many victories. But what did godly wisdom dictate? It dictated that Jesus Christ in the prime of his life be tortured and cut down. And yet we know that, that the godly wisdom that brought in such a humble, a humble branch, a sprout that just didn't look like much initially, did very well did exactly what he was intended to do because now we have Christianity and we have the world, so many in the world that follow this amazing Christ, this Messiah. This is why wise men came from afar to bow down and, and, and the, the wisdom of the world would bow down to such humbleness and such uh, godly wisdom. He was righteous in wisdom. He was righteous in his judgment. In verse 3 and 4 it says this, And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. <laughs> he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Jesus will judge the heart. We, we're living in a time, right, where... Uh, and Hollywood is being blown up. 
uh, news organizations are being blown up by accusations. Politicians are being accused. And what's happening is, is that we're learning that some people are not who they appear to be. That there is things going on, there are things going on behind the scenes of these people that despite what they say about themselves and what they say, hey, I'm, I'm great, I'm this person that respects people and, and, uh, and, they, and, and despite what we see in their life of, of hey, I, I'm, I respect people, we, we realize that behind the scenes they've done very vile things to women. We can be easily fooled, you know. There's, I mean, some of them were not fooled by, and others were like, well, I can't believe that guy. I respected that guy. I can't believe that's going on behind the scenes because we can be easily feel, uh, fooled. But we see here is that Christ will not just judge by what is he sees or hears. He can look right to the heart of the person. God is a... God is a God who judges the heart. He cannot be bought off. He cannot be fooled. All will be revealed one day. And there are people that probably right now that have committed these acts and they're wondering, am I going to be the next to be named? Am I going to be the next politician? Am I going to be the next Hollywood star that's kicked, kicked out of my movie production? And the reality is, is that we can't keep it up forever. That one day everyone will be judged beyond the things that they say and beyond the things that they try to present to the world. Everyone will be judged for the heart that they have. And Christ is that kind of judgment, which is why we have to turn to Christ because we can't hope in our sins remaining hidden. It's not going to work. We need Christ and His righteousness. We see here that he will judge in rescue of the downtrodden. It says he will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Now, this is a little confusing because we normally think of someone's judge, if he's going to judge the poor, we kind of think of like a court of law and he's doing something bad to the poor. But that's not what this verse is saying. It's saying that poor people and people that have been downtrodden and been mistreated and have gotten no justice will receive justice upon a Messiah who is wise and, 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 and carries the Spirit of God on him. Christ identified with the poor. He entered this world as modestly as one can enter into the world. In a manger, and his, his, the announcement of his birth did not go out to kings and queens. It went out to shepherds in the field showing that he identified with the poor and the downtrodden and those who were needy. Throughout his entire life, we were told he had no place to lay his head. We see him as one who cared. We see time and time again as one who cared about the poor and, and how they were treated. But here's the reality, folks. The world needed something more than just someone who would treat the poor nicely. The world needed something more than just a Savior that would come and say, hey, be nice to poor people. Give them money so they can eat. 
I mean, he, Jesus said that was very important, but there was something much more important that Christ was engaged in, and that was being a supernatural Savior who would change everything, one that would, out of these humble beginnings, bring a new world. Many who were all about just the social justice aspect of Jesus, that, hey, he was nice and he, he wanted us to give all our money away and, and, uh, and take care of the poor, and that's all they want to know about Jesus. Man, they are, up to this point, they're all about it. But look at the very next verses. In verses, second part of verse 4, And he will strike the earth with a rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The root of Jesse uh, is not just going to come and, and say, hey, be nice to the poor, because I love the poor. He is going to change the world. He's going to destroy the old world. Through the might of his word, he's going to destroy the old wor- world and present a very, very new world. And that's what we see described for us in verses 6 through 9 here. We, we hope in a Messiah whose glory is going to bring peace on earth. We see a world that's made new. We see in verses 6 through 9 a world transformed supernaturally. It goes beyond just a nicer world. It's a world that's been made new. Beasts that are mortal enemies now live at peace. Wolves are cuddling up next to lambs. A lion and a calf will be together and led around by a child. A lion being led around by a child? Lions will eat straw instead of other animals. Kids will play around the hole of a cobra with no fear. I can barely get my kids to go in the woods in in the summer because they're scared of snakes. And we're going to see a world so changed that a child will play over the hole of a cobra with no fear whatsoever. Y'all, this is beyond just a nice man coming and, and doing nice things and teaching us to be nice to one another. This is a Messiah that is going to transform the world back to Eden. That we will return back to before sin came into the world and, and corrupted and, and brought in death and brought in conflict and death and and all of the evil things that that come, we will see the Messiah totally annihilate all evil and restore Eden glory and all the beauty and all the grace and all the wonders of Eden. The Messiah will restore Eden. And really, this is a kingdom that in some ways is already here through the church. Verse 9 says, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That one day the earth will be full of the knowledge of God. That is the problem with the earth right now. It's not full of people acknowledging the glory and the knowledge of God and who He is. 
But one day it's going to fill the earth. And the church, what we are to be doing is to be a preview of that. Previews are big these days. You know, if there's a great, man, they'll, they'll preview something coming out, a movie coming out a year from now, and everybody wants to know what is the preview, what does it look like? I want to see the preview. And that is what the church, that is what we are to be as the kingdom of God on this earth. We are to be a preview of what's to come and to be fully established when Christ returns. We don't want to just sit back and wait for Eden to be restored. The church of God is here to be a place where the Messiah is already ruling. While we know that one day the earth will be full of the knowledge of God, it is the church's job now to spread that knowledge. That is why we preach Christ to our neighbors. That is why we send missionaries around the world. Because we want to see that knowledge spread. Because God has established His church to be His people that would spread His glory. We see also here that we hope in a Messiah who will unite all people. Though hope will spring from the tribe of Judah, that hope is a hope that belongs to all nations. Look what it says in verses 10 and 11. (laughs) In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. Paul will actually quote this in Romans 15, 12, saying this, and again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. So what what Isaiah is saying and what Paul is using Isaiah to say is this, is that this branch is for all the nations, it's for everybody. It's not just for Judah, this hope that is springing from the trump of Jesse is a branch that is for all the nations we know that that uh, in ancient times armies would fight under a banner that way on the battlefield you knew where your people were and, and there would be a great elegant glorious banner that would stand for your team right verse 12 says he will raise a signal for the nations and he and will assemble the banished of Israel and gathered as his first of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Christ is our banner. That branch that will, that will grow out of Jesse or has grown out of Jesse now serves as a banner to unite people under Christ. We are united under Christ. To unify all people will not, that's why in the New Testament we're full of verses that say, Hey, we're not, we're not Jews and Gentiles, not this and that. We're all united under Christ. Lastly, we hope in a Messiah's second advent. 
Much like his offer to King Ahaz, God is offering us all that hope of the branch of Jesse this morning. That there's hope in Christ. There's hope in this tender branch that rose up from the trump of Jesse, uh, from the stump of Jesse. And if we, we can either be like Ahaz and we can say, you know what, God, no thank you. I'm going to turn to earthly things. I'm going to turn to earthly avenues to get my hope. Folks, if we do that, we're going to have lives that are cut over. A cut over that's just devoid of hope and growth and joy. But if we would turn to Christ, if we would cling to Christ as our only hope, He would lead our lives into a place of hope that is realized. And that's what we see in Isaiah chapter 12 and verses 1 through 6. We see this hope realized that that this, this branch of Jesse is going to bring great joy to people. And that's, here's what it says. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust. I will not be afraid for the Lord God is my strength and my song and He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, proclaim that His name is exalted, Sing praises to the Lord, for He has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Aren't those beautiful, glorious words? Listen to me. Don't be Ahaz. Don't turn to anything other than God. He... Ahaz turned uh, to Assyria and he reaped absolutely horrible consequences and hopelessness from it. Don't be Ahaz. But when God is now, uh, we, we, we live in the time after Christ appear, first appearing, uh, waiting on his second appearing, we live in this amazing time of hope where God has offered us this wonderful branch of Jesse to put our hope in. And that if we would put our hope in that branch of Jesse, we will find this awesome, amazing realization of salvation and joy that we find in Isaiah 12. Trust in Christ. Trust in nothing else. Nothing, nothing else but Christ. I want to ask of our musicians to come as you please stand and sing, uh, stand to sing. (coughs) As we begin, we're just bringing uh, 
just starting December. And let's make this a December of us celebrating this branch of Jesse, celebrating the hope that has sprung forth uh, in Christ. Let's pray. Dearly, Father God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, we thank you that out of turmoil, out of chaos, out of hopelessness, God, you bring forth hope and joy and salvation. God, move in us this morning. God, some of our lives are devoid of hope. And God, we need to focus our lives on this branch that you gave us in Christ, this hope for the nations. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. He became sin.